to Maddie McAllister's a maritime archaeologist who calls herself a shipwreck detective. She is senior curator in maritime archaeology at the Museum of Tropical Queensland in Townsville, where she's responsible for managing some 8,000 artefacts recovered from about 30 shipwrecks. Maddie began diving aged 14 in southwest Australia, where she grew up. After attending a lecture by the Australian Museum of Shipwrecks, she knew marine archaeology was what she wanted to do. She's dived wrecks all around Australia, the Indian Ocean, and in Oman, she says she wants to find and document as many shipwrecks as possible before they're lost. Maddie's with us from Townsville. Gosh, it's probably pretty early there, Maddie, and probably pretty warm as well. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I'm sitting having my morning coffee today. So, yeah, but good to be chatting to you. Just explain what the light switch was that turned this into your life, your career, and a big part of your life, Maddie. Yeah, that's such a good question. I actually wanted to be a marine biologist, like I guess a lot of ocean lovers. I loved being underwater and fish, and I spent my summers and weekends um, at my grandparents' sort of beach house. Um, but then I, I loved history as well. I loved learning about ancient Egypt and I loved learning about incredible sort of people and cultures from the past. And yeah, one day um, I just happened to, to go to that lecture by Ross Anderson and it put two of them together. It was history and culture and being underwater. And it was like this moment of knowing exactly what I wanted to do. So just talk us through the um where you're working now, the the, the maritime <laughs> archaeology um, at the Museum of yeah. Tropical Queensland. Just just give me a visual of the place and and the artifacts yeah. there. Yeah, totally. So I'm a yeah I'm a curator of maritime archaeology. So I do everything from research shipwrecks, go out and work on shipwrecks, to looking after the collection that we have here. Um, that's the Queensland Maritime Archaeology Collection, and the the most famous one is HMS Pandora, which is um, one of our oldest shipwrecks in Australia. And I also am um, a co-appointment with James Cook University and a researcher. So I kind of get the best of both worlds. I'm in um, a museum and outreach and I get to share these stories with people and I get to do the research as well so it's it's a bit of a few things all wrapped together. Uh, also any curator's role any museum's role is, is protection of the artifacts and, and what's involved uh, w- with this kind of these kinds of artifacts? Yeah and I guess Underwater artefacts are probably the most or some of the most complicated ones and not a lot of people realise that actually. But when when something's been underwater for you know, decades or hundreds or thousands of years, there's a really complicated process about sort of reversing that and making them available to be dry all the time. Um, so it takes often years for, for shipwreck material to be ready to be put on display. And one of the crazy things is, is that even after that, for for eternity, for, for the rest of their sort of lives, we have to look after them in really special conditions. So they have to be in climate control and humidity control, um, which is really important, but also really precious. You know, we, we can't ever get these things again. They're non-renewable resources and, and really important to preserve for the next generations. It was amazing, wasn't it, that discovery of the endurance 
uh, back, oh, when was it? It's about a year ago, yeah. wasn't it? Um, 11, exactly a year yeah. ago almost, uh, 3,000 metres under the, the Weddell Sea. Uh, and what <laughs> yeah, was amazing, I was sitting on the edge of my seat for that one. <laughs> yeah, but what was amazing was its preservation, and it was to do with the little greeblies, pardon, pardon my technicality. Um, it was to do with the bacteria, wasn't it, on, on the um, – uh, or was it the it's lack a, of bacteria? Yeah, it's a lack. It's a mix. So the the key things that we always say that preserve a shipwreck underwater will be darkness and cold water. Um, so something like that is perfect. You know, it's it's really really deep, really really dark, and obviously in really really cold water. So all of that sort of put together means less bacteria. Um, less, you know, sunlight, less oxygen and all, you know, can preserve something in really, really good condition for, for hundreds and thousands of years. Yeah, it's incredible. So how many shipwrecks would there be around the world? Can we possibly know? <laughs> that is such a, um, a great question. I think there's certainly, just for a reference and only because I know it, but there are, you know, there's estimated to be about, um, you know, over... 5,000 in Australia and in Queensland where I am we definitely have over um, you know we we expect there's over a thousand in Queensland alone we haven't found all of them um, but that's certainly an estimation so um, you know if you expand that thinking about the globe there is so much work to do for maritime archaeologists out there. It's incredible, isn't it? But I suppose it's, in some ways it's almost the equivalent of contemporary car crashes. They happen, right? Um, and if they happen, it's a lot happen. And if they happen at sea and, and, and they're irretrievable, uh, that, that's where we are. The, the incredible thing about it, though, are the human stories attached to it. And this is your passion, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the, the crazy thing is is that a lot of these shipwrecks, we don't, have a lot written down about them. We've lost a lot of this knowledge through the passage of time. And and these things are actual physical facts and bits of evidence that we can trace back and we can learn so much about human beings um, by looking at the past. It's actually a really fascinating avenue to go down. Are most shipwrecks from a particular era where, A, there was a lot of travel happening and, B, <laughs> they were of wooden construction? Is there a great era of shipwrecks? <laughs> that's my favorite era for sure I'm definitely a um I love wooden ships there's something about the um I guess the the myth and the legend and the seafaring that really intrigues me and draws me into those stories but certainly we we research everything all the way up to our steamships you know one of our most famous wrecks in the world is Titanic um and you can even look further than that at World War II and aircraft wrecks as well um, and certainly going back uh, you know now thousands of years to some of our oldest European wrecks um, in the you know in the Mediterranean or in Central Europe um, and you know looking even further back than that it would be absolutely incredible to find you know an outrigger canoe from the South Pacific somewhere from thousands of years ago we certainly can push as far as we want we just have to be able to find them and and I guess that's the next goal. How do you look because with our satellite imagery and all the extraordinary technology we've got these days will the sea eventually yield most of her mysteries or in some places are the depths such that that's where they'll remain? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's one of the most incredible things about living in our current age and time is just the advances in technology and, 
every month, you know, it seems like there's some new discovery and something new that's coming forward. And as an archaeologist, I'm so lucky to be able to work with, you know, people who are these technical specialists in something that I could never wrap my head around. Um, But I think we're just going to find more and more of them, certainly in the depths um, and maybe even things that aren't even in the depths. There might be wrecks that are hidden in our shallow waters and in our reefs that we just haven't been able to put our fingers on before and some sort of new technology might reveal that one to us, um, hopefully anyway. Why so many shipwrecks in Australia? Is there, um, I mean, it's the reality of coastal nations, obviously, fully coastal nations, that uh, anyone yeah. coming in in a certain area has got to, got to deal with uh, with the coastline. Are there particular parts of Australia where many ships have come to grief? Yeah, definitely. I, I would say, I mean, obviously, Great Barrier Reef, um, you know, we, we know it as this beautiful tropical holiday destination and, and tourist paradise, but it's exactly what its name means. It's a massive barrier to navigate through and it um, was a headache for for a very long time for navigation and seafaring so there's a lot there for sure um the same on the west australian coast actually um where i grew up is um you know that was a passage around um africa coming across the indian ocean through the roaring 40s and a lot of ships would would just sail too far on that that wind that blew them around they were heading for indonesia and they would just hit west australian coast so we're just such a a huge coastline and an island nation like you said and and i think being where we are around a lot of other places that um you know a lot of wrecks here and and certainly um i can't i can't speak for new zealand but i'd say there's probably a fair few in new zealand as well there's a few prime (laughs) targets that's for sure Uh, and um I think there's something like 900 ship and aircraft wrecks scattered across the reef, which is extraordinary. Uh, and yeah. let's let's get into some of the stories. One of your favourites is the ill-fated SS Yongala. Please explain. Yeah. yeah, Yongala. I like to call Yongala Australia's Titanic because I think that immediately people understand sort of what it looks like and when it was sailing. Um, it's an incredible sort of story. It was a very famous ship. It was reliable. People travelled on it all the time. Um, and in uh, 1911, it was travelling from Mackay, so south um, in south mid south of Queensland, heading north up to where I am in Townsville. And it disappeared without a trace overnight. And um, it had 122 people on board. Um, there was a bit of a storm, a cyclone, um, and they expected that. Yongala just um, hidden close to the coastline, but it never turned up. Nothing ever showed up, no lifeboats, no people. Uh, the only thing that was ever found was um, the the remains, a corpse of a racehorse that was loaded onto Yongala in Mackay. Um, and it wouldn't be for quite a few decades that it was actually found by some divers in the 1950s who um, located it off air, sort of sitting in 30 metres of water. It's in between the Great Barrier Reef and the mainland in a, I like to call it like a desert plain, if you imagine it not having any water in it. So Yongala is this incredible sort of man-made reef, an oasis that sits in the middle of nowhere and a 100-metre-long steel ship that sits in 30 metres of water and the wildlife and the marine life that are around it are just incredible. Um and it's a protected zone, you know, it's it's a grave of 122 people who lost their lives there, but 
the preservation of this wreck is absolutely incredible. It, it still looks like a ship that just sort of sank and is sitting on the bottom of the ocean. What's the experience when you're down there? You're obviously, well, for a start, you're doing something <laughs> dangerous if you're not concentrating, so you're focusing on your business. But maybe when you surface, are, are there moments where you're almost transported back or moments when you reflect on on yeah. those stories and on those people? Yeah, absolutely. I, I always find there's always a sort of... Um, a rush and a process really when you're getting out there you're excited you're getting geared up and you you know waiting everything's right and you get in the water and it's that moment when you first go maybe five meters below the surface and everything's prepped and ready and you can finally sort of focus on the wreck and Yongala is this great example of because it sits in fairly deep water you often can't see it from the surface but when you drop down that five meters all of a sudden this looming massive absolutely massive structure of a bow starts to appear from the blue depths below you and you start to see fish and you just have this moment of remembering and realizing and I guess it's a little bit of a haunting moment knowing that um, there were people on this wreck and and that's always an incredible moment for me and I always take a minute just to sit and in you know, embrace that and remember that. And I think that's really um, incredible. There's not a lot of other ways to to really put yourself in the past and you can do that with a shipwreck like that. Um, and I guess the other one on Yongala that really hits me is, is as you move along the wreck, you know, it's quite long, it's 100 metres long and you get to the stern sitting on the top because the ship sort of sits to one side. There's a hole in the hull and you can peer through and you actually look into the second class bathroom and there's a clawfoot bath sitting still you know it's attached to the floor and you can look straight in and see this bathroom and this clawfoot bath and really honestly that is the closest sort of you know moment where you can see someone walking around in there and you can really you know that someone was in that you know had a bath the night that it went down or something it's just a crazy sort of connection to the past through a shipwreck 122 people went down how was it discovered after 40 years yeah so actually the navy um discovered it uh, in the 1940s doing you know obviously around after world war ii um, and picked up this massive anomaly um, looking for things noted it was a wreck but then never went back to it and it was actually an underwater um a bunch of divers in the 1950s so really early on for scuba not a lot of people were, were getting into it um, that made it their mission to go out there and have a look at it. Um, and they went down and found it and it had actually you know, two key things um, that identified it. One was the safe that they pulled up from the captain's um, cabin and office there, a chub safe, and when they pulled it up it had a serial number on it and they actually contacted the chub, I guess, head office in the UK and that serial number was still registered to SS Yongala. So that was sort of like um, the easiest clue in the world to identifying a shipwreck pretty much. It's pretty exciting when that moment happens and you can confirm something, (laughs) a piece of a puzzle is fulfilled. What's yeah, another? Absolutely. What's another favourite from wherever in the world? Another one that's really you've just thought, "Wow, I can't believe this." Yeah, another wreck story that I yeah, love. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think, um, I mean, this might bore a lot of people and this will show my nerdy side um, very much as well, but it's probably one of the first wrecks that I dived on and it was in Western Australia. It's called Rapid. Um, it sunk in 1811 and it was an American China trader ship that, you know, a very fast sail ship that was carrying a lot of silver. And so because it was really early on over in WA, they actually burnt this ship to the waterline to hide it, to hide the silver in it. Uh, erect on Ningaloo Reef um, up in the mid sort of northwestern coast. They came back and got all their silver, but um, the wreck is still there and a whole lot of this beautiful wooden structure is still there and a beautiful shallow, you know, three to four metres around coral bommies. And I remember going down on this dive um, to inspect this wreck and to check on it and make sure it wasn't deteriorating too quickly. And because of the current of the ocean, um, it had cleared part of this wreck. And sitting below me were these like fresh kind of clean looking beams and wooden frames from the wreck and the gold of these copper bolts that are used to put a wooden ship together. And it just looked like this ship had maybe sunk a year ago, not over a you know 100 200 years ago and it just really was this incredible moment of seeing that even on our reef systems even in the south you know the oceans and the places where we live like australia and new zealand some of our wrecks can really just sit and wait for archaeologists to come back and learn more and that was just incredible it looked like it had been cut and put together yesterday yeah it was beautiful are people do, uh, is there like a record of manifests from more modern history of who was on a missing ship whether or not it's been located uh yeah there is so we have we have an, um, a database of shipwrecks as well um but it's often a lot of wrecks just aren't that well studied which is a crazy thing some of our famous ones absolutely we've got you know pandora and batavia and things have crew manifest lists um, because they are quite famous but the little ones certainly don't um, unless we're lucky and some of their ship's logs survived so it's crazy to think that these people on board can be a bit of a mystery as well and you know that their leftover things shoes and cups and plates really are all that's left of their memory sometime. Is it rarer to have undiscovered shipwrecks now because with modern technology and boats and um you know, um, various other ways of trying to locate. A ship that goes down, people will go not just to rescue but to endeavour to at least identify what's happened. Is it rarer to have a complete mystery? Yeah, I would say we're certainly not getting new shipwrecks in the sense that I guess um, our modern ships that wreck often get salvaged and aren't a mystery. But I would say that, you know, like we say, there's over 900 wreck and aircraft wrecks um, on the Great Barrier Reef. We've only found over 100 of them. So there's still, you know, there's still 750 at least that are there waiting to be found. And we found a new one um, a couple of years ago. And I would say it's actually not not the satellites and not the technology that's finding the new ones. Um, and I think this is my favourite thing. It's the people that are out there snorkelling and diving and fishing that are often the people that find these wrecks because they are, you know, going to places that they know and are really familiar with them and all of a sudden seeing something that isn't quite natural and sticks out. So I think that's kind of cool as well. It's everyday people that are on the water that are finding wrecks. Maddie, where do you sit on the idea of leaving in situ versus bringing back? And let's talk about the Titanic. <laughs> I mean, a couple of questions. First, 
What is preventing it from disintegrating faster than it is? Goodness, it's 110 years old now, right, underwater. So first, Mm -hmm. is there something that is preserving that wreck better than many others? Mm -hmm. Um, Titanic sits, so same thing, it's in that deep cold water. It's um, 3.9 kilometres down below the surface. So it is a it is a long way down. I guess the the thing that is um, deteriorating Titanic, which is not a unnatural process, I should say, is that there's a bacteria that eats um, or a, a chemical sort of reaction that eats and rusts things down there. So that is what is deteriorating that. Every single shipwreck though will have a process where when from when it wrecks to when it hits an equilibrium it will deteriorate and often that equilibrium is when it's buried and the top bits have disintegrated and and gone away so we're kind of in that early process for titanic i would say like it is old but it's not super old and that's that's where that's at for that one and so where do you sit on the issue of either trying to recover a shipwreck or certainly to take as much as you can off it versus letting it i suppose rest in peace i think for me the key is um what do we need to know do we do we have questions that we can't answer any other way than going and looking at artifacts or excavating and and then it's a question about who will look after that long term you know like I said we, we have to look after our shipwreck collection here for eternity in the museum so that is exactly what would happen to anything recovered I absolutely think it's really important to preserve our shipwreck sites in situ um for the future because we may have technology in the future that allows us to do a way better job than we could now But I also think that having shipwreck material in our museums, in exhibitions, for those people who can't dive and can never get to these wrecks, um, for research, you know, I can go into the collection store here and we can do a massive amount of research on artefacts that are in the storeroom. It's a bit of a balance, I guess. There's, there's got to be a really solid reason to go down there. We've got to have a question. We've got to be trying to answer something. And that has to justify the cost um, and the destruction. Because as archaeologists, when we excavate something, if we're going to go down, say you're going to go down to Titanic and, and recover something that you have a question about, you essentially destroy that part of the wreck to recover it that's something you can't get back so it has to be really well justified working with the smithsonian on some 3d and digital tools what will that produce yeah Yeah, so i i love the fact that digital technology and visualization allows us to i guess show things better than a 2d photo or a drawing and sometimes being able to see 3d really allows you to understand what something might feel like or look like a bit better so really what I'm going to do with the Smithsonian is is try to find a way to um, efficiently and quickly 3D model artifacts from Pandora and make them really accessible for people and hopefully that becomes a really quick and easy way for other museums around the world to to put their objects on display online on a digital sense. Yeah. A couple of questions from listeners that I think will register with you, please. One is awesome. how ocean, they're both climate related. One is how ocean mm-hmm. acidification will affect shipwrecks. We know that process is on the increase. And second, mm. sea level rise, will it make it harder to discover and recover new wrecks? 
or what impact likely, please? Great, great questions. Okay, so um, ocean acidification, absolutely like anything in the ocean um, that will impact our cultural heritage that's underwater. And um, I think we're just sort of beginning to be able to use shipwreck sites as um, study sites for climate change. And there's a couple of projects running in Australia that will really look at them because you can, I guess, come back to them and reference them and see change. But, yeah, ocean acidification, salinity, temperature, anything that is detrimental to the natural environment is also detrimental to um, shipwrecks. So um, that will answer that one, hopefully. And then I guess sea level rise is a really interesting question. A lot of our shipwrecks sit um, in our intertidal zones as well. So there'll be a tricky and interesting thing there where, Maybe our wrecks that are in our beaches and in our coast areas um, will either be benefited from sea level rise or that change and erosion from it will actually um, uncover them and deteriorate them quicker. I think that'll just be depending on each individual shipwreck, which is often a tricky thing. Just quickly, you mentioned the silver earlier, and it reminds me of the General Grant, <laughs> yeah. which went down off the Auckland Islands, sub-Antarctic here, and still those expeditions are mounted to try and find it and its gold. <laughs> uh, but are there any other favourite New Zealand shipwrecks for you? There's the Mikhail Lermontov at the bottom of the Marlborough Sounds, which has been the source of so much speculation. Any others that are on your radar? <laughs> I know of a couple and um, I have a very um, good friend and a colleague, Kurt Bennett, who's um, he works for Heritage New Zealand. He's been heavily involved with HMS Buffalo, which is um, a wreck in Mercury Bay. I think it's in the north um, somewhere and it's actually in a shallow water. You can see that from satellite imagery. You can see the outline of HMS Buffalo sitting there, um, incredibly well preserved and a community project that's looking at this um, shipwreck from 1840. So um, a beautiful old wreck there. That's one of my favourites, absolutely. And if anybody is interested, I heavily encourage them to, to get in touch with the Buffalo Project or with um, Dr Kurt Bennett as well. Maddie, thank you. Maddie McAllister, who is Senior Curator in Maritime Archaeology at the Museum of Topical, uh, Tropical Queensland. Uh, she is a, a marine archaeologist, a diver, as we said uh, the shipwreck detective.